Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. I'm really excited to continue our conversation with two individuals who represent leadership and bravery at work. John Stewart is the founder and CEO of Stewart Leadership, which he started in 1980. He is globally recognized as a leadership coach, consultant, educator, speaker, and team performance specialist. Under his guidance, Stewart Leadership is recognized internationally for its feedback assessments, training tools, and solid results-focused coaching services designed to guide teams and individuals to adapt, grow, and reach new levels of performance. John has published several articles, manuals, workbooks, and the three-book award-winning Stewart Leadership Series. His title book, Lead Now, a personal coaching guide for results-driven leaders, won the National Indie Excellence Award for the best leadership book published over the last five years. John's latest book is titled Mastering the Art of Oral Presentations, and this book is an essential tool for teams seeking to win government contracts, as well as as a valuable guide for presenters in any field. Daniel Stewart is the president of Stewart Leadership and is a sought-after talent management and leadership development consultant and coach with proven experience advising senior leaders, leading chains, and designing leadership risk organizations. He leads Stuart Leadership's extensive consulting practice, business development, and international partnerships. He is the co-author, along with John, of the award-winning book, Lead Now, a personal leadership coaching guide for results-driven leaders. And he also has published articles in Executive Presence, Practicing OD, Proposal Management, and HR.com. Let's rejoin the conversation with John and Daniel. No, uh, we are not perfect. Nobody is perfect on that front. Daniel, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, but building on that, as humans, we also get a little wacky when we start dealing with power and control issues. As we start figuring out these relationships, we, we tend to confuse power over versus power with. And we start somehow getting defaults thinking around power over. And so as we think and build relationships, we then think, oh, I need to like exert some level of power and control over people to get things done so that I can maintain some something. We get a little wacky around this instead of remembering that we have another option, power with. How do we have power with somebody to partner, 
to collaborate, to build teams, to work with somebody to accomplish something, to be able to build strong roots, not by ourselves, but with and through others. Now, this involves some risk. Yes, vulnerability. Yes, bravery. Absolutely. But it's being willing to exert yourself and, and be open and find out about others and to have power with somebody to be able to accomplish something instead of power over. Well, it is so hard for people to go to their boss, for example, which I think is where the power with versus power over probably uh, demonstrates itself the greatest, which is I want to tell my boss that uh, at meetings, she is frequently not on time. And so the meetings start late and she doesn't honor the agenda, right? We have an agenda, we have a meeting planned and we go all over the place and no one will say something to her because she's the boss. And I feel that it would be important for her to hear it. And so, Daniel, I think this model of is this a power with type conversation where we're moving together or is this a power over where I think, although there is zero evidence of, of this, that she's going to say, I can't believe you're saying this to me, you're fired, uh, is at play. And it sounds as though this is what your experience and connection with clients have you know, demonstrated over the years. Yeah. And, and building on that, we often, any sort of challenging conversation, one of the first questions we'll ask is, well, what are the business or people results that you're trying to achieve? What are the results that you agree upon? And if you change and adapt, would it improve them? Or are the results okay? Because fundamentally, if the business and the people results are good, then we all have very little reason to shift and change. Let's get clear about what those business and people results, because essentially it matters very much what we're trying to accomplish as well as how we get there. And it's that how, that's, that's where we often either don't negotiate, don't feel we have enough influence to be able to do something about it. But again, it goes back to what are the results that we are striving, striving to achieve? And let's agree upon that as a foundation and from there have more conversations or at least then know how to approach the next step in the conversation better. Well, I think this is an area that is a challenge for most people in most organizations because we have been raised culturally. And let's say I become an economist. You know, I went to college to learn how to analyze the economy. I went to graduate school to learn how to analyze the economy. I got hired because I'm good at analyzing the economy. Nobody really taught me or shared how to motivate people, how to get them caught up in a vision that we want to focus on, right? There's none of the how in existence. So this relationship, which I love, Daniel, between people and business, I guarantee you, if I was to sit with any of my clients and said, let's talk about what you're doing in respect to business, and let's talk in respect to what you're doing for people, we would spend 75% of the conversation on the business side, the projects, the initiatives, the clients, the challenges, you know, that's all my boss asks about. That's what I focus on. And very little talking about people. And if it was, it might be training programs that we have or, you know, things of that nature, but nothing substantial. John, I'm just wondering what some of your thoughts on that might be. It's, it's consider this. People feel that they are paid to motivate others. If we look at the research deep within psychology, we find you honestly cannot motivate another human being unless it's by fear and that's temporary and resented. So if we are, Daniel or I are doing a keynote in Miami in front of 5,000 executives, and we start with that premise, you cannot motivate another human being. You can see on the faces of everybody in that ballroom, what? 
Are you kidding? Motivating my people is part of my bonus. I mean, what do you say? And then we'll say, wait a minute, let's finish the statement. You cannot motivate another human being. You can only motivate yourself. And so the audience is saying, all right, then, then what is my job? If I can't motivate, what am I supposed to do? The answer to that is you create an environment conducive to self-motivation. And you don't have to be an Einstein to do it. It can be taught. It can be learned. And what you're doing is creating an environment where people want to produce, want to perform, want to give, want to become committed. And it's that whole notion between ownership and rentership. Do you want a rentership attitude within your organization where you hate the landlord and you pay the rent to the darn guy who's going to come and bug you at the end of each month or whatever it is? No, you want a sense of ownership where people share a sense of this is our organization that leads to greater sense of commitment, which leads to a greater sense of performance and results, which everybody then wins collectively. It's that whole notion of how can we get that collective view of being together? Well, let me just pause for a second, because I'm just wondering, why is something that's so obvious to the three of us so uh, uh, obscure <laughs> or unknown to the business world? I mean, this is an area that every client I've ever worked with, we needed to focus on. You know, I have yet to meet, and I shouldn't say yet, I'm sure there have been one or two, but not many, people who are what you're describing, John, right? They understand motivation. They understand that it's self-motivated and you can't you know, be like a marionette and get everyone to do everything that you want them to do. Uh, it's just not how organizations seem to be oftentimes structured. It's not how roles seem to be oftentimes structured. You know, when you look at a job description, there's very little about people other than, you know, be a good communicator and motivate, you know, all these kind of uh, standard words that we put in just to make it sound good. You know, why are we so poor in an area that as business professionals who work with organizations see as important? John or Daniel, either of you can jump well, in well, on my take, very obscure question. Take, just quickly, take the simple concept of the traditional organizational chart, the pyramid, where the CEO, the boss, the general, the president is clearly up at the top and everybody else is below him or her. And often the workers aren't even included on there because they aren't part of management. What does that bring to mind? Who's the most important person in this organization? Why, I am the CEO, the president, the head chief, whatever it might be. And you are strictly here to make me look good, pay my bonus, pray for all my country club membership, all my kinds of golden parachutes, the whole works. What if we inverted the pyramid? What if we reverse that? Now, who's at the bottom? The boss, the president, the CEO. Who's at the top? Every one of the individual performers, because they are the ones who interface on a daily basis with the customers, the vendors, the supporters. Now, what's the attitude? The boss and all members of senior management, their whole focus is to support those who are the most important in the organization. If it weren't for them, nobody would have those country club memberships or golden parachutes or stock options. It's a whole shift of mindset. And if we have that mindset, then every member of leadership says, Every day, what can I do to help you, the people who are the most important in my organization, really perform well and achieve what we're trying to do in this organization? It's a shift, 180. Well, before I turn it to you, Daniel, I just want to observe, it just feels as though that the current org chart mentality we have makes it harder to be brave at work because as we go up the level and there's fewer and fewer of those people you know, the chances that I'm going to go up to the CEO and say, hey, can I give you some feedback that I think would be helpful 
is nominal because I think the CEO only wants to hear about how are my numbers? What have we, right? I mean, the business, business, business side, not, you know, improve me, right? Because they're the CEO and people believe, uh, certainly in our American culture, that CEOs know everything, right? That's that's how they got there. And they don't need feedback from others, which of course we all know is not the reality, but uh, it just seems as though the org chart kind of influences not being brave at work. Pat, uh, Daniel, what are some of your thoughts on that? Yeah, there is definitely a, a big gap between the knowing and doing what we know what we should do and what we actually do. And there's lots of various reasons why that gap exists. But I will tell you, I continue to be optimistic, particularly because we are seeing more and more small incremental improvement toward more participative, more human capital focused, more people oriented decision making. Admittedly, it's an art because it is, it's, it's just so complex, so many different variables as we build relationships, as we manage control and power issues, as we organize together in, in different organizations. But what we are seeing time and time again, more and more organizations want to change, want to transform, want to have more human-centric ways of approaching, of talking, of hiring, of developing, and primarily the folks, the, the clients that we, we work with are primarily growth-focused organizations who value people. They value people. They may not know exactly how to best express that level of value. And that's usually what they're saying, hey, come help, support, help us align people. It's because we recognize that this is how we'll be able to optimize the organization and the team and the individual. By understanding that art of leading and being able to shorten that knowing-doing gap. So I, I remain optimistic. I'm seeing this more and more, and I have to keep focusing on the 5% improvement here and there in various organizations because it's continuing to grow as we value the, the human element of organizations more and more. Well, I agree with that assessment, and I believe that I see it growing also at a 5% level in respect to questions and areas of interest and areas of energy. And, you know, I love that know and do model, right? There's a difference between knowing and doing. And I'd add a step in the middle, which is, I think, where people get stuck, which is how, right? I know I want to say something. I don't know how to say it. I think the minute I open my mouth, it's going to collapse. So I'm not going to go there, right? I'll worry about it later or let somebody else worry about it to get me to do so I, I, I think it can be uh, an interesting model. Daniel, I did want to talk a little bit uh, before we close out today about this construct of teams, right, in respect to being brave with teams, because certainly as a team leader, you're managing a group of people, sometimes people you didn't even select, that they were selected for you. And some are great performers, some are uh, good performers, and some are not performing or creating stress and strain on the team because they're not doing what they said they would do or can't keep up, you know, whatever the front, uh, mentality might be. So I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit more when you're thinking about the, the construct of teams and the impact that bravery at work might have on that. Yeah, sure. So as a team leader, you have a couple of choices. You can go in and one choice is how, how intense do you set performance expectations? Because you can go one approach of saying, I'm going to set them fairly low so people can be comfortable, they're okay, they don't feel too stressed, they might like me. 
you know, these kinds of things. Or you can go and say, I want to set them really high. I want to shoot for the moon. I want to achieve greatness. And that has pros and cons with that as well. Now, the other choice that team leaders have is to be able to create that environment that my dad mentioned, the environment. Do I want to create an environment of fear? Do I want to create a, an environment of you better uh, uh, comply and make sure you do everything exactly all the time? Or do I want to create an environment where it's more open, more understanding of what we're trying to accomplish and giving more leeway about how to get there and to be able to have two-way conversation? Now, these are extremes. However, usually team leaders fall somewhere in between. What we find is when team leaders choose to set high expectations and couple that with an environment of open and candid feedback and conversation, that is where learning and high potential and high performance can foster the best. There is this remarkable combination that when you have both versus lowering expectations and making sure everybody's okay, well, that's extremely comfortable. But you're not going to be able to have breakthrough performance. You're not going to be able to stretch. And the other way, if it's high expectations and fear, then you're going to have anxiety and burnout and toxic situations. But as a team leader makes that choice to set that environment of openness and candor, as well as high expectations, that is where we find the highest performing and most engaged teams because that commitment can come from within and say, yes, I want to put my voluntary effort toward achieving something that we can do that I could not do on my own because we can do it together. Uh, it's a fantastic combination. Well, I have loved our conversation today and I'm going to do something I typically don't do on our podcast, which is ask you if you have any final words. You are both leadership development experts, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but when you think about our listeners who are looking for how to be braver at work, do you have any thoughts, suggestions, ideas, recommendations, even just one that you can talk about that could be effective? So Daniel, let's start with you. You know, What comes to mind? What type of final word would you like to have with our uh, listeners? Absolutely. I, I have such a philosophy about learning by doing and, and an action bias. And so frankly, the one piece of advice would be pick something, one small behavior, whatever that is. And frankly, if you want, get our Lead Now book. We have tons of tips in there. The point is pick one, one small thing and shut the book and go do it. Go do it. It's that 5% incremental and that's what can help make a difference. Fantastic. I love it. And how about you, John? One of my heroes in the business world is a fellow who's no longer on the planet named J. Willard Marriott. And he was the original founder with his wife, Alice, back in the 50s of the world's largest chain today, Marriott Hotels. And his philosophy of leadership that I share often is this quote, you cannot improve a thousand percent in one thing but you can improve 1% in a thousand things. And that coincides with what Daniel was just mentioning. Our books are built around little incremental improvements, little one percenters, as I call them, that can affect how we work with others, how we lead a team, how we conduct our relationships, how we view ourselves. 
instead of feeling like we have to remake ourselves or remake the world or remake a family or a department, little one percenters, the low-hanging fruit can make all the difference in the world. Do we solicit feedback from people that we trust and respect at work? Are we comfortable enough with our boss, with a spouse, a partner that we can say, how would you have done that differently? What could I do differently next time? What are little one percenters? That is within the realm of possibility. We can handle that. Otherwise, it's just overwhelming. Fantastic. Daniel, John, thank you so much for your time today. Pleasure. I appreciate what you do. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us today. And we hope you join us on our next podcast conversation as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at bebraveatwork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio everywhere online. Do you have something to say, yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do, yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.